The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, and open them to the Old Testament, to the book of First Chronicles. It's been quite a while since I preached a message from the Old Testament, with the exception of the one that I did on Wednesday evening from the Psalms. Uh, we've been preaching from the Gospel of Matthew for many, many years now. But I want to take a little bit of break from that. Uh, this Sunday, I want to talk to you from the Old Testament. And next Sunday, I'll speak to you from the Old Testament as well as we look into the book of Ezekiel. But from this text, I, I would like to speak to you on the subject of what will you risk for God? Now, I've already had the question, why does your outline say November 10th on it? And the answer to that question is, I was sick last week, and I thought that this sermon needed to be preached, and so I'm preaching it today. Now, it was intended for Veterans Day, so I will maybe include some references to that as we go along just to pay my tribute that I didn't get to do last week. But I do think that this is a, a very important text for us today, a subject for us today, because I think that we are at a crisis time in our church. I think that we're at a time when commitment from our people is running low. We're at a time when going to church or missing church for some of you, it's just a toss-up. Whether you'll be here or whether you're not, we just really don't know. And I think that we need to be aware of that, of what we're doing. Uh, some people think that it's a time to quit ministries, that it's a time to quit activities, to quit serving. And I can tell you that that kind of attitude will kill a church. And it's having its effect on us. And we need to be very much aware of the problem that we have and what God wants us to do about it, what he expects from us. Now, some of you have decided to go the way of the, to go the easy way, to go the simple way, to go the way of personal convenience. And so it seems that our membership has forgotten what it really means to do something for God. Now, in today's text, we're going to look at some soldiers that were in David's army that are called in these scriptures, mighty men. Uh, these were men that were uh, that were willing to step out beyond the ordinary and to do something extraordinary for their king. Now, as I think about veterans and what uh, the celebration for last week, uh, I think about all the men and women that have done extraordinary things for our country, willing to risk their lives, to give their lives for this great country. But I'm also thankful and even more thankful today for members of Berean Baptist Church that are not doing the extraordinary, but are doing what is ordinary for Christians to do. And you know what is ordinary for Christians? It is ordinary that we serve the Lord faithfully. Serve the Lord faithfully. Now, if you look in this text in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, let's begin reading at verse number 10. If you'd stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word. 1 Chronicles chapter 11 and verse number 10. These also are the chief of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom and with all Israel to make him king, according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. And this is the number of the mighty men whom David had, Jeshobim, 
an Hakmonite, the chief of the captains, he lifted up his spear against 300 slain by him at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite, who was one of the three mighties. He was with David at Pastamon, and there the Philistines were gathered together to battle, and there was a parcel of ground full of barley, and the people fled from before the Philistines. And they set themselves in the midst of that parcel and delivered it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great deliverance. Now three of the thirty captains went down to the rock to David unto the cave of Adullam, And the host of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the hold, and the Philistines' garrison was then at Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem that is at the gate. And the three break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink of it, but poured it out. To the Lord, and said, My God forbid it me that I should do this thing. Shall I drink the blood of these men that have put their lives in jeopardy? For with the jeopardy of their lives they brought it, therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mightiest. Father, thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, speak to our hearts today. Make us understand very clearly what you would have us to do, and what you expect of us as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, the subject of my sermon is, What Will You Risk for God? Chapter 11 in First Chronicles begins the story of the reign of King David over Israel. Now, in other places of the Bible, we have more about the beginning of David's career, and how that he became a champion of God's people, and how that God had chosen him to be the king over Israel. But as we read this account, when we come to the Chronicles, here David comes on the scene with rather suddenness. There's not much said about his exploits. And so the first account that we have in the Chronicles of David is not what he did, but what was done by his faithful, mighty men. Chapter 11 begins with Israel gathered in Hebron, And there they have anointed David to be their king. And Scripture says that that was according to the word and the prophecy that was given to Samuel. So David's first act as a king was to secure for himself a capital. And so this chapter also tells us how that Jerusalem came to be the seat of government, the uh, capital of the nation of Israel. And that in itself is somewhat of an interesting story because David promised that the person who conquered the city that he chose to be his capital, that person would become the captain of his army. Now, this city that David wanted was the city of Jerusalem. At this particular time, it was known known as Jebus, and it wasn't a place that uh, Israel had yet conquered. Now, it was in Canaan. But Israel had never conquered this particular piece of ground. And so David promised that the one who would conquer it would become the chief captain of his army. And the person who did that was David's nephew named Joab. And Joab became a great warrior for David. Well, our text begins with verse number 10. And from this verse to the the end of the chapter, there is a list of the mighty men that followed David. 
These were mighty men that were faithful in those early days as David began to assert himself as the king of Israel. Now, the history of the reign of David is a history of battles. It's a history of warfare. It's a history of bloodshed. And it's a history that, in the end, established Israel as a force to be reckoned with in the world at that time. And to become a mighty nation and to fight all the battles that needed to be won and to win those wars requires an army. It requires an army of faithfully dedicated soldiers. And when we study the life of David, we find many things that are good examples for us as Christians today. Now, as you know, we've read in the Psalms for several weeks now, and how many times have I mentioned to you as we read those Psalms that those things are about David, but they're also about, many times, about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we find many things in those Psalms and in the life of David that are good examples for us, things that we can live by, things that we can look to, to say, that's the kind of person that I need to be, either like David or like David's mighty men, And in many ways, that represents Christ, and it represents his people. Now, David had some mighty men that followed him, and there's important lessons to be gleaned from these mighty men. Now, the Bible teaches that each of us who are born-again believers, we become soldiers in the army of the Lord. Remember what Paul said to Timothy? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he talked to him about being a soldier and about being a good soldier. Paul said, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. David had many soldiers, but there weren't many of them that distinguished themselves to be called mighty men. Not many of them distinguished themselves in such a way as they could be referred to as great warriors and great defenders of David's kingdom. That wasn't the lot for all of the soldiers to be mighty soldiers like these were. And folks, unfortunately, it does not describe most of the people who are the soldiers in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's because there are very few of God's people who will do what David's men did. There are very few of God's people who will step out and do something for God and to stand up in God's army like he requires of us and to be faithful as the word of God tells us that we must do. But there were some of these men in David's army. They stood head and shoulders above the rest. There were some of them that were brave. They were standouts. They were men that were worthy of this recognition. And their names have been written down in the chronicles of of David's kingdom. These are men that are recognized. These are men that have their heroic deeds listed when David's army's deeds were compiled. Now, in verse number 11 of our text, there is a man by the name of Jeshobim. He's singled out here. And the Word of God says that Jeshobim, one man, a single man, armed with a spear, defeated 300 soldiers. Now, Paul may have had him in mind 
when he said we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us? Because that's something you don't do without the power of God. You can't do that kind of thing without God's power being behind you. Now in verses 12 through 14, we find Eleazar, the son of Dodo. And I know sometimes in this battle that we're fighting at Berean, we think we're fighting sometimes beside the sons of Dodo. You know, when I was preparing the sermon, I was wondering, should I pronounce that Dodo or Dudu? And I, I decided that Dodo sounded better than Dudu. But these are, the, these are the sons of Dodo, and they stood alone in the battle. Now, if you'll look at verse number 13, you'll find out what this man, what Eleazar was fighting for. He and David were fighting over a field of barley. So what's so important about a field of barley? Why would you risk your life to take a field of barley? Well, the importance of that is that he was a man who stood on principle that it didn't matter what it was. He knew that all of this would soon become the possession of David, and he was willing to fight for every inch of it. It was the principle of the thing. This is, belong, is going to belong to my king, and so he was willing to fight for that. Now, folks, in a world where so many professed Christians are willing to compromise their convictions, it seems, for just about everything or anything, it's refreshing to see a few people who are Eleazar's. It's refreshing to see a few people who will stand up for what they believe, who will stand up for what's right in the Word of God. A few people who will say that, I'm not going to do what the world's doing. I'll walk contrary to the world. It doesn't matter if people at work don't like what I'm doing. It doesn't matter if people where I want to go don't like what I'm doing or people at school don't like what I'm doing. I'm going to stand for the Lord because I know that's right. It's good to have a few Eleazar's. Now, there's just no questioning the ability of these men. There's no questioning the commitment of these men. These were men that were willing to stand on, the, on their ground and to hold that ground because it, it belonged to David. And folks, what we need to do is stand our ground because all of this belongs to the Lord. Let's stand up for him. But then next in the narrative, we come to three mighty men of Adullam. Now, the last part of verse 19 tells us that they were the mightiest of all. And that's who I want to look at today. I want us to look at the characteristics of these three men who were called the mightiest of these men. Now, you'll notice first that they were with the king during difficulty. They were with the king during difficulty. Look again at 1 Chronicles eleven fifteen. Now, three of the 30 captains went down to the rock to David into the cave of Adullam, and the host of the Philistines, Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David is at the cave of Adullam. Down in the valley before him is this army of Philistines, and they were making preparations to attack David. David was in a place where he needed the Lord's help. Now, here he is. He is a new king. He's asking his army that he has raised men who have not fought much with him before. He's asking this army to fight a very dangerous battle. And David needed the leadership of the Lord to show him how he could overcome that mighty foe. Now, one thing we find out about the life of David is that he was a man of prayer. He knew where to find his help. He knew who to seek when he needed help. So David went to God in prayer. Now, we find that prayer in the 14th chapter. If you just want to turn over two or three pages, we'll look at that for just a second. 
First Chronicles chapter 14 and verse number 8, it talks about David's prayer. And when the Philistines heard that David was anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to seek David, and David heard of it and went out against them. And the Philistines came and spread themselves in the valley of Rephim. And David inquired of God, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? And wilt thou deliver them into mine hand? And the Lord said unto him, Go up, for I will deliver them into thine hand. David sought the leadership of the Lord, and the Lord was on his side. Now, it's always good to know that the Lord is on your side. I mean, if nobody else will help you, isn't it good to know the Lord is on your side? Well, David had confidence that God was on his side, but there was another type of confidence that he had, and that was the confidence that God had given him some mighty men, that God had given soldiers that would stand with him, and they had been with him in the good times, when things were going well, when there were no battles, and now here we find those very same men in the bad times when the enemy is there, Bad times were upon them, and they were ready to fight for David. Now, I think, folks, that this is the kind of period that our church is going through. I know that there are some tough times that are upon us. We've had successes in the past, and we've had people that would stand with us in those successes, and we thank the Lord for all of them. But when hard times come, hard times come, we need to know Are there some men and women who will stand still with us in the hard times? Are there still some people that when the going gets tough for us and it it, it looks like we can't get the job done, are there some people, some men and women who will stand with us to help us to get through the tough times? Are there men who are willing to go the extra mile? Are there women who are willing to help shoulder the burden of the work that we want to do and not let the church skip one beat in all of this work that we have to do for God? Now, here are three mighty men that were with David in the best of times, and they were with him in the worst of times. And I can tell you, it's a shame to see a church like ours suffer because the members are needed and they're not here in the toughest of times. What a shame it is for members of Berean to absent themselves from the work when there is someone who is needed to keep the work alive. These are three men that committed themselves to pray with David, to fight with David, to seek God's face. They endured hardness as good soldiers, and that's what God expects of us as soldiers of Jesus Christ. Ask yourself that. Are you a good soldier? of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to risk something for God? Now, secondly, I'd like you to note about these three mighty men that they knew the desire of their king's heart. Verse 17 says, And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem that is at the gate. So not only were they with David in the difficult times, but they also knew his longings. They were sensitive to the fact that David desired to have just a drink from the land of his birth. He wanted a drink from the well of Bethlehem. You know, I wish that as believers, believers in Christ, that we would be much more sensitive to the desires of the Lord, that the longings of Jesus Christ would also be our longings. 
These are men that were in tune with the desires of David's heart. They were sensitive to what David wanted. And I ask you today, a lot of questions are in this sermon. Are you sensitive to God's heart? Are you sensitive to what God desires? You know what Paul said to the Philippians? He just said this. He said, that I may know him. And when Paul said that I may know him, he meant that I want to know everything there is to know about Jesus Christ. I want to know what he desires. I want to know what he feels. I want to know his power. I want my life to be in tune with all that he desires. What is it that God desires for you? Now, I, don't, I, I don't know what God calls you to do specifically as an individual. I can't speak for how God is talking to your own heart, but I can tell you what God expects from all of us, and I can tell you what God, uh, what we have in common that God wants from all of us. God wants faithfulness. God wants people who will be here day in and day out, who will do the jobs they've been asked to do. God wants people with commitment. He wants us to continue the good work. He wants us tithing. He wants us witnessing. He wants us singing. He wants us teaching. He wants us praying. He wants us encouraging. He wants us here for fellowship. And what he doesn't want is one minute's hesitation from his people. Not one minute's hesitation to do what God has called us to do. Now, I can tell you about the battle that we're fighting. It's not going to go away. And it's not diminished because there are a few soldiers that are hurting and are wounded. Now, these are men that knew the longings of the king's heart. His desire was their desire. You know, I think about this. I think about what a privilege it is to know our king. When the world's governments, it's not often that the common man can have a personal relationship with a king. Most kings don't have anything to do with the common man. If you look at the Bible, in some places you'll find that there were kings that had subjects killed who would dare come into the presence of the king. But it's not that way with our king. Our king desires our fellowship. He desires closeness to his subjects. Our king wants to share his riches with us. Our king wants to bless us. He wants to give us all spiritual blessings. He wants us to love him. And I've often wondered, with a king like that, why is it so hard for us to serve him? With a king like that, why don't we want to give him everything that he asks? Why wouldn't you want to serve a king like that? David's men loved him. They were willing to fight for him. They were close enough that they could feel the longings of his heart. And today that can be you. Today you can feel close to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can feel him. You can be close enough to feel the beating of his heart if you just surrender yourself to do what he asks you to do. Now, there's a third observation that we note about these mighty men. Thirdly, they risked all for their king. Now, they were with the king during difficulty. They knew the desires of the king's heart, and they risked all for their king. Look at verse 18 of the text. And the three break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. But David would not drink of it, but poured it out to the Lord. All these men, it's a beautiful picture here. The willingness, the unselfishness, the submissiveness, the earnestness, all of that is evidence of love for their king. 
These three mighty men risked their lives just to bring David a drink of water from the well at Bethlehem. And that was a dangerous thing to do. The Philistines had made Bethlehem their stronghold. They're encamped all throughout the valley. The Philistines or Philistines are standing guard. They're not going to let anybody breach their lines. And yet these three men showed no fear. They didn't regard their own lives. And so they skillfully negotiated the ranks of the Philistines. They went to the well and they drew out the water to satisfy their king. They risked all to satisfy the longings and the desire of the king. And here we go again. I ask you, where are men and women who are willing to do such a thing? You know, we live in a time when there's very little pride in the things that our country stands for. Do you know we live in a time when there are very few that would actually give their lives any longer to preserve our freedoms? Do you know we live in a time when leaders, our leaders, have so debased their offices and themselves that young people look at that and say, what is there worth fighting for? What is there worth standing for? That's a sad day for America, isn't it? How many would be willing to do what soldiers did in World War I and World War II, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the Gulf War? How many are willing today to go out and just risk their lives to preserve the freedoms of our nation? You know, I remember my dad telling me when I was young just how, how he just couldn't wait to enlist in the Navy in World War II, that he was chomping at the bit to get into the fight to get into the battle, to get into that war, because he believed that there was something worth fighting for. He was proud to serve our country. And let me tell you, defending our country, that's a noble thing to do. Uh, as I said, I, I, I'm giving my tribute to our veterans today, that we, we thank the Lord for the sacrifices that they made. It's a noble thing to fight for freedom. But much more important than that, much more is this is serious is this cause there's something more important than the good old USA and preserving the freedoms that we have Jesus said this is more important than all of that he said and fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell that's what we fear it's the one who has control over the immortal soul now, if someone comes in and overruns our country today and takes all of our freedoms away and even kills us, they can't do anything to our eternal soul. That belongs to God. And the battle that we're fighting here, the Bible says, is not a battle of flesh and blood. It's not a battle with people. It's not a battle with, with, with the ordinary weapons of warfare. We are fighting a, bi a battle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of the world, and we are waging a battle for the souls of men. And we can't afford to lay down in this battle. And so where are men and women of Berean Baptist Church that are willing to do all for Christ? Where are church members that are willing to help us to get some programs started rather than us having to shut some things down because nobody wants to help? Where's the commitment that people will make? Where are church members that are willing to do ministry for Christ and willing to be an encouragement to weaker Christians to walk by example? To show others how to live. 
What we need are some church members that will make it their responsibility to watch out and to encourage and to care for people that we have on the Wednesday night prayer list. We need some people that would be willing to be here on a Wednesday night and to pray for these things and to bring these petitions for the Lord. It's what we need, what these people need. This is what God wants us to do. Now, we're facing a time right now that I just learned the other day, and I'm sorry that I haven't kept up on this as well as I, as I could have, but I just learned that one of our Sunday school teachers is covering four classes because there's nobody to take the other classes to help and, and break that, the Word of God down to children who need to hear about the Lord. That is a shame for a church like this not to have people that we can depend on to take care of Sunday school classes on Sunday morning. Where are Christians who risk some time and some energy, some talents to serve Christ? Now, I thank God for people in the church that have moved beyond the complacency. Some of you are doing two and three jobs, double duty, triple duty sometimes, because there just aren't enough people in Berean that are willing to do it. Now, when I originally started working on this sermon, I didn't mean to be a hammer a sledgehammer to come down on anybody, but I think the Spirit of God just moves and said, you need to do this. You need to talk to some people about what's going on in the church. So I thank God for church members who say, you know, we're not doing enough to keep people that walk through our doors. We need to keep some of those people. How are we going to do that? How are we going to change things if we don't just stop talking about it and if there aren't some people that will step up and help to do the work, to do something for Christ? There is no work that can be done in the church without people. There's no work to be done if people don't volunteer and come and say, I'll help with that. You know, here's something that you need to know, that God promised that his church would be preserved, that it would be perpetual, that it would be in the world as long as he wants it here until he comes back again. He promised that for his church. But he did not promise that any individual church would be here till he comes again. And that's why you can go to the Middle East today and you'll not find one of those churches that the Apostle Paul started. Somewhere along the line, things went askew. People got off track. People stopped caring. People stopped doing. People stopped volunteering. People stopped risking things. And there is no church there any longer. And I'm telling you, that can happen here. It can happen here unless we, just step, unless we step up and do something. Now, I tell you, when you decide to do that, you're going to have to spend some time behind enemy lines. It will require going into the stronghold of the devil. And it will require some faithfulness because the devil's not going to let you slip by and notice. He never does. The devil will take his pot shots at you. He'll try to discourage you. He'll try to put everything in your way to keep you from going on and working and doing what God's called you to do. He'll put every obstacle in the way. He'll use everything that he can to get you to throw up your hands and say, it's just not worth the risk. It's not worth the fight. It's not worth the effort that it takes to do this. And when you decide that it's not worth the effort, that it's not worth the risk, then you go over and tell the kids in the Pioneer Club and the Sunday School that they're not worth the risk any longer. It's not worth spending my time on you. And you be the one that goes out and tells people in Roner Park that are lost without Christ that you're just not worth the risk. We don't have time to do this. We got other things that we have to do. And you be the one that goes to those people that are sick on the prayer page and nobody's praying for them, and you say, I just don't have time to fool with you. I can't help you. 
And then you be the one that sees how it feels when somebody comes to you when you need help and they say, I just don't have time for you. God needs some mighty men. God needs some mighty women to step into the work. These are men that took the risk. They risked all for their king. They wanted to give something to him. And God is giving something to you. Give something back to him. They risked all for their king. Now lastly today, lastly, these three mighty men, they did all for the pleasure of their king. They did it just for his pleasure. Look at verse 19. David is speaking here. He says, My God forbid it me that I should do this thing. Shall I drink the blood of these men that have put their lives in jeopardy? For with the jeopardy of their lives they brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mightiest. Now as you think on this story, you, you, you may wonder about the reaction of King David to this. These men risked their lives to get a drink of water for him. But David would not drink it. They brought it to him, and verse number 18 says that he poured it out. David, what have you done? What have you done, David? You've dishonored these men. You've poured out what they risked their lives to bring you. What have you done? And that's the way that it looks. But the Scripture says in the last part of verse 18 that he poured it out unto the Lord. He made a sacrifice of it. He made a sacrifice to God. And when he did, he elevated the deeds of these mighty men. Now what better thing can we do, folks, than to give God the thing that cost us the most, to give God the valuable things. The water was obtained at the risk of life, and there's nothing more valuable than life, is there? They risked it all, and David was not willing to give God a pittance. He gave him something that was valuable. Have you thought about that? What have you dedicated to God. I mean, what are you doing? Are, are you giving God the leftover bits and pieces of your life? I mean, just things that, that you can spare because that's okay. You can give that little bit. I mean, you're busy with other things, other things you got to do, but I can spare this for you, God. Are you just giving him the leftover things or are you willing to step out and sacrifice something that's valuable to you? Again, this is what God expects. This is not an earthly king that we're serving. This is the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of all kings. And then let me ask you, what is your motive for serving him? Now, our motive is very clear in Scripture. Our motive is only one thing, to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. That is the motive for every work that we do. Now, I do believe that it's good for us from time to time to recognize people from the pulpit and say, this person has done a good job. I don't mind doing that. But if that is your motive, if your motive is to get your name in the bulletin or to have the pastor stand up and pat you on the back and say that you've done a good job, then you've got the wrong motive and you've got your recognition. Your recognition is our applause. And that's what you get. That's your reward, our applause. But isn't there something much, much better than that? Isn't there something much better, which is the recognition of God Almighty, that you're motivated by love, that you're motivated by devotion to Him? Not that you'll get recognition, but that Jesus Christ will receive all recognition. And whether you get one word of thanks for what you do, 
And we don't mean to be ungrateful, but whether you get one word of thanks for what you do, it's all for Jesus Christ. It's the eternal things that count, not what you're going to receive here. Now, here are three mighty men that wanted to do the king's pleasure, and their motive was not to see if David would promote them. They didn't go to see if David would promote them. They did it because that's the king's pleasure. This is what the king desires. And that's our motive. What does our king desire? So there are valuable lessons from these mighty men. They stood with the king in difficulty. They knew the desires of the king. They risked all for their king. They did all the pleasure of the king. And these three mighty men did it for an earthly king. And the question is, what will you do for the King of kings and the Lord of lords? What will you do for the eternal king, the one who will sit on the throne of David forever and forever? Now, just a minute before I close, let's reflect for just a moment. We can see in the lives of these men a real commitment to the cause that they were fighting for. There is a real commitment here to the king that they're fighting for. Now, here is a situation that required men of stature, very dangerous battle that they're about to fight. And David knew before he ever entered into the battle that God had given him reliable troops. There were reliable soldiers that were up to the task that they were asked to do. I can't tell you what the future holds for our church. I I can't see beyond today. I can't see beyond the next five seconds. I don't know. I know that God expects some things from us, and I know this, that if we're not faithful, that Berean Baptist Church will become just another blip on the radar screen of do-nothing churches. And they're all over the country today, and folks, I do not want to be that. And I hope that you don't want to be that. You want to see all the pews filled. And they would be. You know they would be if all the membership of Brian Baptist Church would bother to come. If we just bother to come, we, we could fill up the pews here. And if we just take a little time to talk to somebody about the Lord, we could fill up the pews that are here. We'd have Sunday school classes that are full and plenty of teachers to handle it all. And I wouldn't even be making a plea like this today. I wouldn't need to because people surrender themselves to the Lord. So what are you willing to do? Where are you willing to go? What are you going to risk to make sure that all the work that we need to do gets done and all the work that we plan to do and hope to do will get done? Now, I'm telling you that the church today is asking you for your help. Now, if you're a visitor that's visiting with us today, I'm sorry that you get to hear this side of the ministry. But this is what pastors have to do. I'm not here to stroke you. I'm not here to part your hair for you, pat you on the back, and sit you down comfortably in your pew and let you just sit there in the pew. I'm not here for that. And so occasionally, some visitors and so forth, you get to hear the other side of things. And I'm just trying to be an encouragement to people who need to serve the Lord better. And I'm not getting on you because I don't like you. I'm not getting on you because I think some of you have just totally failed and you're no good in the service of God. I'm getting on you because I want God's blessings to be on you. There's nothing I desire more than for God's people to be blessed. And this is how we get it. You know, you talk about God's blessings. There are, there are 
conditional blessings that God gives? I mean, aren't there, isn't the Bible filled with conditional blessings? Your salvation is not conditional, but God's blessings upon your Christian life are conditional. Now, he blesses you with so many things, whether you do the right thing or not. But how much better do you feel on the inside when you know that you're serving God to the very best of your ability? God just elevates you. As we talked on Wednesday night, righteousness is its own reward. Just living for Christ feels good while you do it. People are looking for happiness today, and they think, well, happiness is going to come if Joel Osteen says, you know, uh, I just have a positive attitude and smile real big and say, God, I expect this from you, and God's going to drop it on me. No, he won't. No, he won't. He's just making Joel Osteen rich from selling books and all of that stuff. No, no, he won't. The way that God blesses you is through you being the spiritual Christian that you need to be and feeling the power of God within you, and that's how you become successful, not whether you drive in a BMW. Not a BMW. Drive a Volkswagen, 1972, and you can be a whole lot happier than that person who doesn't serve the Lord. I can tell you that right now. So today, the church is asking for your help. Will you be a mighty man for the Lord? Will you be a mighty woman for the Lord? Will you be a mighty teenager for the Lord? And I hope that you'll make that determination today. You'll say, Lord, this is what I will do. The pastor asks for your help. In the best of health, I can't do everything there is to do. When I'm feeling really good, as I am today, thank the Lord for that, I can't do all there is to do. And neither does God want me to do all there is to do. I'm here. You know what uh, Ephesians 4.11 says? That God has put pastors and deacons and, and apostles and, and all of that into the church. You know why he does that? To encourage the work of the Lord among the saints. To get you into service. That's why we're here. God doesn't want me to do everything. He wants you. And you know what he wants from you? Body, soul, mind, spirit. God wants all of you. What are you willing to give? What will you risk for him? Will you risk all because he doesn't ask for anything less. Survey your Christian life. Survey your membership at Berean Baptist Church and determine what have I given to God and what am I willing to do for him. That's what we need. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we're able to be in this place today and to read from your word. And Lord, we come confessing our sins. We come confessing our failures that we haven't done what you've asked us to do. We come, Lord, asking you to stir us up, to change our hearts, to make us so they want to do the very, very best job that we can in your service. Lord, we just ask that you would speak to people today, that we would see a new vision of you and what you'd have us to do for you in this church. We, we can do great things for you because we have a great God who is behind all of it. Help us to depend upon you. Speak to someone. Lord, and then if there's someone here today who doesn't know you as Savior, uh, this may look like, like it's too tough, like it's berating, that it can't be any fun to be a Christian. Oh, how the people in this room know better. Even when the pastor says these things that I've had to say today, and the heart, and the heart is just stepped all over, True Christians know we need this, it's good for us, we want it, and we expect our pastor to give it to us. Lord, true Christians feel like that. 
And the lost person will never know that until they come to know you as Savior. Speak to someone's heart today. Lord, may we do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.